More Chinese communication companies blacklisted, officially deemed a threat to America's national security. U.S. lawmakers pushing to decouple from China. That call part of efforts to counter the Chinese Communist Party. Could be one of our greatest allies in the world, but never as long as the Chinese government is in charge. A key U.S. agency is getting a new climate cop, one who studied at a Beijing-controlled university. We dig into the officials' China ties. Apple expected to shift a quarter of its iPhone production to India by 2025. The country holds the world's second biggest smartphone market after China. Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Chenny Wu, in for Tiffany Meyer. More Chinese communication companies are officially deemed a threat to U.S. national security. The Federal Communications Commission added China Unicom and Pacific Network ComNet to the list, based on advice from security agencies. This solidifies a previous decision to ban services and equipment from those companies in the U.S. The two companies are subsidiaries of a Chinese state-owned entity. The FCC found in March that they are subject to exploitation, influence and control by the Chinese regime. The agency says Pacific Network ComNet could give the Chinese Communist Party opportunities to, quote, access, monitor, store, and in some cases, disrupt and or misroute U.S. communications. Likewise, the FCC found in 2015 that China Unicom has the capability to listen in on phone calls and track the locations of its users. As the White House once more walks back President Biden's vow to defend Taiwan against the Chinese invasion, lawmakers and activists are warning against the threat Beijing poses to the U.S. NTD's Iris Tao has more on a forum at the Capitol. It is unbelievable how much funding we are doing of a communist country. Calling to decouple from China, Congressman Louis Gomer joins a Tuesday forum inside the U.S. Capitol to highlight threats posed by the Chinese Communist Party. The problem with communism is atheism. Government must be God. And so people aren't free to seek and look for truth. I'm asking this question for myself, are we really free or not? Also speaking at the forum, NBA free agent and human rights activist Ernest Cantor Freedom. He shares about the pressure he faced here inside the U.S. for speaking out against Beijing. In game, one of my teammates woke up to me in a locker room and said, you know this is your last year in NBA, right? Like, you know, you talk about the Chinese government, you talk about, you calling out Nike, you calling out some of the players who are bowing down to these dictatorships, your career is over. Freedom tells NTD that China is undermining freedoms in the U.S. by infiltrating Wall Street, NBA, Hollywood and even government institutions. No one can invade uh, USA from the outside, but they're trying to invade USA from the inside. Meanwhile, Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi on Monday called for greater cooperation between the two countries, saying it will benefit both China and the U.S. But Congressman Gomert says this about China. This could be one of our greatest allies in the world, could be our greatest ally, 
but never as long as the Chinese government is in charge. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Iris Tao, NTD News. A key bureau under the Treasury Department is getting a new chief climate officer. The new climate cop, Yuanina Chen, studied at a Communist Party-controlled university in China. NTD's Julia Song has more on that. The department Chen works for is crucial. It's called the Office of the Controller of the Currency. The bureau is America's banking regulator. It supervises and regulates all national banks, federal savings associations, and federal branches of foreign banks. Yue Chen's responsibilities include focusing on climate risk management frameworks for the federal banking system. She will report to acting controller Michael Su. Chen got her bachelor's degree from China's Tsinghua University. The university hosts laboratories linked to the Chinese military. And one of its key research areas is defense, including missiles and artificial intelligence. It's also supervised by a defense industry agency for the Chinese Communist Party. The regime controls Tsinghua University through a Communist Party committee. In a speech this July, the head of the committee, Chou Yong, reminded all of the party members about the importance of being loyal to the Communist Party. He said he hopes all party members will forever take the party's leadership, direction, and will as their own. It's unclear if Yue Chen is a Communist Party member. NTD has reached out to the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency, but did not immediately receive a reply. Juliet Song, NTD News. A quarter of iPhone production will move to India by 2025. That's according to what J.P. Morgan analysts said Wednesday. The shift comes as the tech giant moves some of its production out of China due to growing geopolitical tensions and strict COVID-19 lockdowns in the country. Here's more on those changes. India is the world's second biggest smartphone market after China. And it's expected that Apple will move about 5% of iPhone 14 production there starting late 2022. Estimates also say about 25% of all Apple products are to be manufactured outside China by 2025, compared with just 5% currently. Since Apple began iPhone assembly in India in 2017, the tech giant has bet big on the country. But the pandemic hampered supply chain relocation plans. With restrictions now easing, Apple is re-accelerating those efforts this year. The Bloomberg reports that earlier this month that Indian multinational conglomerate Tata Group was in talks with Taiwan-based electronics manufacturer Wiztron. The two are reportedly planning to establish a joint venture to assemble iPhones in the country amid Apple's plans to cut production lag with China. China is lashing out over new activity in the Indo-Pacific. That's amid heightened Taiwan tensions. On Wednesday, Beijing warned the U.S. to stop being a troublemaker. The comment takes aim at the U.S. and Canadian warships that sailed through the Taiwan Strait on Tuesday. That's after President Biden said the U.S. would defend Taiwan if China launched an invasion. The trip was the second in one month by a U.S. Navy ship. The U.S. Navy says the cooperation with Canada represents its approach to a secure and prosperous region. Canada's defense minister said it demonstrates commitment to a free, open Indo-Pacific. Taiwan's foreign ministry welcomed the action. China has said it aims to achieve a so-called reunification with Taiwan. A Chinese regime spokesperson referred to that prospect as peaceful on Wednesday. This following weeks of military maneuvers and war games by Beijing near the island. Let's zoom in. 
The spokesperson from China's Taiwan Affairs Office described complete reunification as a must for Beijing, though he didn't give details on a time frame. He also promised Taiwan could have a social system different from the mainland, one that ensures their way of life is respected, including religious freedoms. But he noted that was under the precondition of ensuring national sovereignty, security and development interests. It's not the first time China has made this kind of promise. Before Britain handed Hong Kong over to Chinese rule in 1997, Beijing committed to upholding the Sino-British Joint Declaration. The agreement stated that Hong Kong would enjoy a high degree of autonomy for at least 50 years and guaranteed freedoms not enjoyed in mainland China. But 25 years later, the financial hub saw increasing arrests of pro-democracy activists and suppression of freedom of speech. As for the term reunification, communist China has never ruled Taiwan. The island's officials say Beijing's sovereignty claims are void. Hong Kong police arrested a man who paid tribute to Queen Elizabeth. He was taken in for alleged sedition. The man was seen playing songs on a harmonica, including a tune called Glory to Hong Kong. It's the anthem of the pro-democracy protests that rocked the city in 2019. A crowd gathered and sang along as the man played. Police said he was detained late Monday near the British consulate in Hong Kong. He's being investigated on suspicion of what authorities called committing an act with seditious intent, as dozens of people had gathered to remember the late monarch. Queen Elizabeth ruled the city before 1997 when the then British colony was handed over to Chinese rule. America and its allies are looking to counter China's influence in the Pacific. Among the latest efforts, joint drills have launched in Fiji, an island country in the South Pacific. Let's take a closer look. Also joining the drill, Britain, Australia and New Zealand. The military exercise is aimed at countering Beijing's growing influence in the region. Uh, we now face challenges that needs a collective whole to address. We address them together. Competition between Beijing and the U.S. in the region has intensified since the Chinese regime signed a security deal with the Solomon Islands. The West is concerned that the deal could pave the way for a Chinese military base just 1,000 miles off Australia's coast. Both the Solomon Islands and China deny the possibility, but the island country has grown closer to China. In August, the Solomon Islands briefly blocked foreign naval vessels from docking at its ports. When I talk about threats, I talk about natural disasters. I talk about illegal fishing, and I talk about uh, other traditional non-state actors which try and, um, and um, destabilize this part of the world. The drill is set to wrap up this Friday. Meanwhile, Australia is taking steps to increase engagement with the region. It plans to set up a defense school to train neighboring armies. That's in response to China's potential military presence in the Solomon Islands. Leaders of the UK and Japan have resolved to work together to counter the threat from communist China. The agreement was reached on the sidelines of the UN General Assembly in New York. The UK's new Prime Minister Liz Truss just concluded a meeting with her Japanese counterpart Fumio Kishida. According to a spokesman, she condemned China's provocations towards Taiwan, which are also a threat to Japan's special economic zones. Both leaders agreed to work together in the face of the threat from China. 
They also agreed that cooperation among democracies is important to tackle both economic and security threats from authoritarian regimes. The UK and Japan are among the most important US allies in Europe and Asia. Coming up, fentanyl kills over 100,000 people in a year in the US, and most of the drug's precursors come from China. What makes stopping its flow into the US so difficult? NTD's Tiffany Meyer sat down with Anders Kaur, publisher of the Journal of Political Risk, to learn more about the political and economical factors involved. More on that after the break here on China in Focus. Experts say a significant amount of fentanyl precursors come from China. The lethal drug kills over 100,000 people in a year in the U.S. But what role does Beijing really play in the issue? NTD's Tiffany Meyer sat down with Anders Kaur, publisher of the Journal of Political Risk, to learn more about what steps can be taken to stem the flow. Now, in the second half of the interview, he talks about the difficulties America faces encountering the Chinese communist regime. Here's what he had to say. And Anders, you wrote recently about Beijing's weaponization of legal drugs, given the amount of Americans dying from fentanyl especially. So what can America then do about this? What can be done? I think we have to sanction China economically. Um, in a much tougher way. Uh, we need to really tell them that uh, over 100,000 deaths in a year in the United States is simply not acceptable. Um, we need to start laying public blame uh, with China and saying, and this is something to be fair that Trump has done pretty effectively. He has talked about fentanyl, he has raised it. Um, he's called it China dust, quote unquote, um, to try to say, hey, China is one of the uh, sources, the primary sources, and they're not being they're not being reasonable. I mean, the Biden administration is trying to negotiate with them uh, to make changes to get uh, more controls on the precursor chemicals that are used in fentanyl, and China just isn't budging. In fact, um, China is linking the fentanyl issue and negotiations with other totally different uh, uh, issues, like Taiwan issues. So when Pelosi visited Taiwan. Um, one of the ways in which China retaliated against the United States was to cease negotiations over the fentanyl issue. Um, so they're essentially holding Americans, 100,000 Americans hostage um, to our, our Taiwan policy, which is in incredibly um, irresponsible or even evil, in my opinion. And so what would these sanctions look like then? What would they entail? I think you could have economic sanctions um, against individuals and companies in China that are involved in uh, the production of precursor chemicals for fentanyl. Uh, that would be a start. Um, but it, you know, China's economy and governance are so interlinked. It's really a totalitarian state uh, that what happens with these targeted sanctions, while good and while they sort of serve a edu international educational function, um, they don't really go far enough because the big companies can then move their fentanyl precursor production to smaller companies. Um, and as soon as those smaller companies are sanctioned, uh, the fentanyl pre 
precursor production can move again to another smaller company. So you really, it's really a systemic problem of the entire Chinese state, um, the entire Chinese economy. Um, and so I think the better approach is to start increasing sanctions and tariffs on the entire economy um, and say that, and, and let China know that the tariffs are being linked to the fentanyl production and all of the other problems that China has from, uh, you know, the Xinjiang uh, genocide uh, to their aggression towards Taiwan, their theft of up to $600 billion a year in intellectual property uh, from the United States alone. Um, all of these problems, you know, are so big and so massive um, that we need to start letting China know that we're going to gradually increase the tariffs. The Biden administration is actually going the opposite direction there. They keep talking about decreasing the tariffs. On that last part, Anders, on the decreasing the tariffs on China, it seems the argument there is to help with inflation, which many Americans are feeling the effects of. So what would you say in terms of these new sanctions and tariffs that you're proposing? What would you say to those being like, oh, we're already feeling the effects of inflation here? Well, the effects of the tariffs on China on inflation has been calculated uh, by Goldman Sachs, the investment bank, and also by Peterson Institute for International Economics in DC, PIIE. Um, and according to both of them, uh, the effect is about 0.25%. Now to put that in, in, in dollar terms, if you go to Walmart, Kmart, and you buy $100 worth of stuff, then instead of paying $100, you pay $100.25. So the effect is only a quarter, uh, which really isn't that much uh, when you consider it, especially considering that all of the losses that we're taking and the future ex potential risk of a war over Taiwan, uh, we should worry much more about the 100,000 deaths, the risk of war over Taiwan, and the $600 billion of intellectual property theft. And on the part about the sanctions, how would we make sure that they're actually having the intended effect? Because for instance, when the West slapped sanctions on Russia over Ukraine, seems Russia's doing quite well. So how would we make sure that doesn't repeat in this case? Well, part of the reason why the, Ru the Russian sanctions aren't working well is that Russia's is switching its sales of oil and gas to India and China, for example. Um, and actually the sanctions have increased the price of oil and gas. So Russia can make the same amount or more by selling less. Um, so one of the things that we need to make sure of when we approach the sanction issue with Russia or China is that other countries don't step in to purchase what, we're, what we stop purchasing. Um, and so that requires coordinated effort. And Biden is right, the Biden administration is right uh, in part here because he really has prioritized uh, coordinated action. I mean, the Trump administration also did a lot for coordinated action, but uh, it's a talking point for the Democrats. Um, but we do need coordinated action on sanctions, on tariffs. Um, when we raise our tariffs to 30%, for example, or 25% on China, um, we should expect our key allies in Europe, Japan, South Korea, um, and other countries that want to be our closest allies and get the most benefits from our market, um, India, we need to expect all of these countries uh, to do the same. 
Um, because if they if they don't, then you're right. The the sanctions have uh, much less effect. And Anders, when it comes to the fentanyl issue, it seems on the individual's part, it would be education. And then on the, say, national scale, it would be these sanctions. And given how you mentioned in the beginning, it really is a global issue, what would that kind of coordinated sanction look like if we partner with, say, Australia, for example? How would that play out? Well, I think we should talk to all of our closest democratic allies um, and even other allies uh, that want to support the democratic bloc of countries, um, we should talk to them and we should say, hey, let's get a coordinated sanctions regime. Let's get a coordinated tariff regime on China for all of the issues that they're, uh, you know, that we're addressing with them, whether it's Taiwan, the genocides, um, fentanyl, IP theft. Um, this is a this is the world's biggest threat. We need to become independent of China on, uh, you know, right now in the United States, we're highly dependent on China for all of our prescription drugs. Um, that needs to change. I mean, the fentanyl crisis really shows that that needs to change. Um, we need to start making uh, precursors in the United States. And this independence, this drug independence, prescription drug independence from China will allow us in the future to impose tougher restrictions on them. We see what's happening in Europe with the Russian gas and oil sanctions is that Russia is shutting down oil and gas and threatening to put Europe into a recession uh, because a lot of the industries in Europe are highly dependent on that oil and gas. And so without it, uh, they basically have to shut down. Um, now, our hospitals, our, our population is dependent on China for prescription drugs. Uh, so we really don't we are not in a good position uh, to increase uh, conflict with China too heavily before we uh, make ourselves independent on that level. On that note, Anders, what would the steps needed to be taken in the U.S. be then? Because it seems right now a lot of companies are going to China because of maybe cheap labor costs. So if we were to bring that back to America, how do we balance that? Well, the, if we impose gradually increased tariffs on China, um, on everything um, that we get from them, especially the key and strategic issues, for example, prescription drugs, um, then naturally our economy will start to look for other sources as the Chinese sources uh, get too expensive. And some of those sources may come from our partners um, in Europe or anywhere, Mexico, uh, Canada, um, but also in the U.S., industry in the U.S. So. Um, I think we would, you know, this kind of gradual increasing of tariffs uh, would, I think, set the, the situation correctly um, economically for a, 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 a rise in U.S. industrial production of these drugs, medical production, uh, biopharmaceutical production. All of these industries need to be supported and protected. They're protected with the tariffs. Um, and then they could be supported to in rapidly increase their production if we also provided some subsidies, which is what we're doing on the chips level. Computer chips, we're providing subsidies, uh, we're denying access to Chinese um, goods. We're not giving China the uh, technology they need to produce advanced computer chips. We need to have the same sort of approach uh, with prescription drugs. 
That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Chenny Wu. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus@ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching and see you tomorrow.